Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. Today is the beginning of a new series titled, What Would Jesus Say? In three and a half weeks, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we thought it would be important to look at what his resurrection actually says about the world and to the world. We're going to ask three questions over the next three weeks. First, what would Jesus say to our society? Second, what would Jesus say to our political leadership? And third, what would Jesus say to you? My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host on The Salty Pastor, and we can't do this podcast without our very own Salty Pastor. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Douglas Peak. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am so excited because we've got a new audio set up for the podcast. I don't know if you feel like as you listen to this, my voice sounds richer. I sound more, you know, articulate, more... You can hear all those deep tones. The deep tones from Jesse in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're trying to up our game here. We just want to do the best job we can for you and so that you have really good audio. If you are watching the YouTube channel, you can see me. I'm now wearing headphones so I can hear myself. So when he hits the mic, he will also be punished <laughs> Yeah, hear the mic. Ah, Yeah, so you won't hear that really massive kabam in your ear. I'll hear it as well. Um, I wanted to kind of start us off. So you always get to be the salty one. Okay. I figured I would try it out this time. So I went and found some articles. I found some articles and I want to kind of get your opinion on this. Um, first article, Columbia university is hosting six separate graduation ceremonies based on income level, Mm. race and ethnicities. Mm. So they're dividing everybody up. Um, segregation is apparently back. I thought we got rid of that, but apparently that is a thing now. So yeah. Um, if you want that, you can go to yeah, Columbia. Segregation is now back in vogue. Back in vogue. Uh, University of Chicago science professor is under assault for criticizing the new hiring rules at the University of Chicago that state no white men. So he saw that this was added into their rules that they are not allowed to hire white men anymore. Mm. Um, criticized it. And now YouTube and a lot of commenters and people from the university are criticizing him for taking that stance. Yeah. Um, we also have the Virginia University is offering a course. I don't know um, if I would personally take this course, but they are offering a new <laughs> course on how to overthrow the state and write your own manifesto. So yeah. wow. um, you can do your English, you can do your foreign language, you can do your math, and then how to... Um, start a revolution, I guess, and yeah. overthrow the state. So the Unabomber <laughs> Yeah, the course. Unabomber degree from the University of Virginia. And then uh, <laughs> on top of all this, we've also yeah. got, did you watch oh. the Grammys? No, I, I didn't watch the Grammys. So the Grammys, I was able to uh, kind of watch it. Because you're, you're really creative. Yeah, in charge like of I like music. I like music. production. I, I want to look into this and, and kind of see what professionals are doing, seeing how they're adapting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Cardi B performs uh, oh, a, a yeah. song. I don't know if you've heard about this. Yes, I've heard about her song. She and performed yes, WAP, which WAP is, is so explicit. I can't even tell you what three of the, the words, words that are part, <laughs> or two of the words out two of the, of the three words, yeah. um, are standing for. And she performed that song. Um, yeah. At the Grammys, mm. um, with and so what artist. was what was it? What did they do? I can they only did imagine a very very explicit performance. Um, I'm a dancer. I, I used yeah. to tour professionally as a ballroom dancer. Mm-hmm. I've done some Latin pieces that were semi sensual. I've worn some lower cut shirts, but this was <laughs> this made me uncomfortable to watch. Oh my goodness! It was that explicit. Wow. Um, there were stripper poles. There was a lot of very very. Very explicit dancing. At one point, um, 
the Cardi and another lady were on a giant bed, not being subtle at all about what was happening. So they were simu- they were simulating, simulating sex acts. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was yeah. not subtle at all. It was a lot. So yeah. Um, even with my background, I was very uncomfortable. You, and that's, over the top. And that's that's gone out and is now yeah. five million views on five YouTube. Five million views. It's on accessible YouTube. to anybody who wants to look it up, wow. um, including children. But yeah. don't worry. Um, there's a couple Dr. Seuss books that are no longer available <laughs> because they might damage yeah. the young psyches. They might bring harm to us. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely so, our society has just gone off the rails. So I think it's, you know, it's just insane that it's so upside down that um, something as small as, and I'm not, you know, saying yes or no on these Dr. Seuss books, but the fact that those can be taken out of publishing because of their content, and yet we have this kind of content that's being broadcast to the entire country on national television and then available on YouTube. It's kind of a weird scenario. Mm, so mm. Um, I think the world is completely crazy right now. And yeah. Pastor Doug, I would like to know what would Jesus <laughs> say if he were here now to our society about how they're acting and what is happening? Well, I think we uh, first have to establish a baseline. Do people believe. And I just don't think, oh, I'm annoyed with my society now. And then everybody's annoyed with stuff all the time. The question is, is do, do people really coming to the conviction that our society is so upside down, it's gotten so crazy and gone off the rails. And I believe that that is really starting to happen. Now, 30, 40 years ago, there were people in the Christian community who talked about this and and uh, very few people, you know, wanted to take them super seriously. But now uh, a friend of mine sent me a video of Bill Maher. And uh, you know Bill Maher, right? I the do. guy who's he's no, an atheist. He's an atheist. His last name is spelled the same as mine, but there's no relation, no relation. or <laughs> ideological relation between the two of us. So we want to be clear about that. But I'm aware of him. Yes, Bill yeah. Maher. So there's no relation between Jesse and Bill. However, you know, he's very critical of religion and faith. He's very critical critical of uh, conservative people. He's very critical of this stuff. But he's sitting there talking to uh, Megyn Kelly. Who Who she's she's right-leaning, right? She was on Fox. Yeah, I I think in the interview she says, I'm center-right. Center-right, okay. And he would say that he's pretty far left. Yeah, so they're, they're already a dichotomy hanging out together. Yeah, and so he's asking her, he basically asks her about why she pulled her kids out of public and private schools in New York City, and she tells him about all these things. And, of course, he kind of knew that they were going to talk about this. And so he had uh, all this data, and he was like, this is insane. This is this stuff is crazy. Like he's seeing these same kind of articles yeah, and, come up and stuff And he's as well. saying, yeah, all of this stuff where we're now we're segregating people, we're teaching eight-year-olds uh, about transgendered identity, when he talks about we need to make kindergartners, you know, peop, kids who are five and six years old, you know, in one of the private schools, were, they had the entire class write a letter to the Cleveland Indians protesting their mascot. And he, he was just saying, this is just nuts of the, what's going on in our society. Now, what we're going to be doing is we've got to realize that everybody is starting to agree, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, that our society has kind of gone off the rails at some point. Absolutely. And so we have to kind of differentiate now between the structure or framework of our society and then how those structures are employed. For instance, uh, the Constitution is a tool 
uh, and it is a structural framework for our society. There is a judicial process, and that is a tool that is the structural framework of our society, uh, and it influences society. Uh, public education, uh, the, the notion that we want everybody to have access to uh, public education is a structural framework of our society because we want everybody to be educated. Now, I could go on and on, but I think you're getting the, the point yes, is that yes, yes. institutions form the foundation of our society, and these institutions are simply tools. So the first question is whether or not these tools are well-designed, effective, and fulfill the purpose for which they are built. So when we say, yeah, what we want to do is we want to provide public education to all of our children so that they are educated regardless of their economic, ethnic, or social background. We want to give access to education. Absolutely, yes. Oh, okay, so we say, well, that's a great tool. Now, now, is the tool, you know, designed to do that or not? Well, that, that's a little bit different question, but the, the point and mission and purpose of the tool, yeah, it's, it's designed for that purpose. It's got a great virtuous uh, mission to it, and we want to abide by that, right? Right. So we have that. So we have that tool. But then the next question is this: is how are these tools being employed? How are they being used? And our founding fathers were really uh, talked a lot about this. Uh, George Washington mentioned it. I believe Hamilton talked about it. Uh, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, talked about it, and they all had the same conclusion, and that is, is that our the structure of our country and our democracy. It will not work unless we are a righteous and moral people. Mm-hmm. Once, once you lose that, that moral compass, it doesn't matter what tool you have because a tool can be used for nefarious purposes. You know, a perfect example of this is that uh, there was a democracy in Germany after World War I, and in that democracy, it was a parliamentary, not a republic, which there is a difference. And in parliamentary is that everybody votes who they want. They have a certain number of seats in the parliament. And then whatever party wins the most seats, right, has to form a government. And you have to have 50, you know, and a half or 51% of all these various groups. So it requires you to build coalitions with other groups. And then you got to get to a majority in the parliament. And usually the person who is from the largest party in that coalition that got the most uh, votes is the head of the party, and then that person becomes a prime minister. Well, in Nazi Germany, well, Germany at the time, it wasn't Nazi at that, at that point, is that uh, due to manipulation, the Nazi party, which were the uh, so Democratic Socialist Party, and what they did is they won 30... Two percent of the vote, okay, and so they got in there, and he didn't quite have enough coalition to rule. But six months after he got elected, somehow mysteriously the parliamentary building blew up, hmm. and under their constitution, when that happens, then the person who was the prime minister can uh, evoke martial law. And that's what he did. And that's how he became the Fuhrer. And he took complete control of the country. So the point being is that anybody can manipulate tools for nefarious purposes. And so the question is, what is our public education system being used to do? 
today in a general sense? What are our universities being used to do today? What is the media being used to do? What is it trying to accomplish? What is its mission? And that is where I think Jesus would have a lot to say to our society. I think he would say to people who are uh, manipulating their position of leadership or power or authority, whether it's in the public education system, it's in the university as a professor or an administrator or a university president, whether you are a part of the media. And is, I think Jesus would look at that group today, and there's a passage uh, in, in one of the Gospels where he says, Woe to you! And it's, it's the woe passage. And Jesus just kind of goes off. He goes, woe to you, O Corazon, and woe to you, and woe to you. And he looked at the Pharisees who were using their position of leadership for personal gain. He says, woe is you. He said, you uh, clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy, filthy, dirty. And so I think Jesus would look at our culture today and he would criticize it in a specific way by saying that you have become an unrighteous, unholy, and narcissistic group of people. You, you are haters of God. You're haters of one another. You're haters of your brothers and sisters. You're haters of your fellow countrymen and fellow citizens. And it just seems to me that what these institutions are doing is trying to produce within us total anarchy and chaos. So, so in your opinion, your opinion, um, what are some of the ideologies that are driving how these tools are being manipulated? I mean, inherently the tools are, are, are supposed to be effective and they're supposed to be good, but then they can be manipulated for evil or for nefarious yeah. purposes. Mm -hmm. And so how are these, what ideologies are driving those manipulations and, and what would Jesus say about them? Well, I think if you were to go back and kind of uncover it, uh, it, it all comes down to postmodernism and how we shifted in the 60s and 70s into a postmodern uh, philosophical construct. And the media picked up on this immediately. And then Hollywood followed quickly after. And it kind of points to some of those original American values. And the, the original values of America were you know, hey, we're pretty independent, you know, we're, you know, don't tell us how to do it. We'll figure out how to do it on our own. And we certainly don't like authority. You know, we don't want a king and we don't want lords and we just want liberty and freedom. You know, the old Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. You know, right. we just wanted the freedom to, to follow our own conscience, chart our own course and, and build and innovate and do things. So, uh, originally, this is what's really fascinating. I don't think a lot of people are aware of this, but in the 1800s, all of the national powers, which had kings and oligarchs and or uh, totalitarian or fascist leaders like Napoleon and France, mm. they were all looking at America as a joke. You know, a bunch of a bunch of misfit Cretans running around thinking they're going to govern themselves. How in the world is that ever going to work? You know, right. you need strong leaders, you need kings, or you need uh, dictators. You need all you know to have power and control. And so the original vibe of America is, you know, hey, don't tread on me. You know, just right. let me do my own thing. And of course, that turned the tide. As a matter of fact, this is a side note, I was reading about why did America become so powerful in World War II? Atkinson wrote a big history of it. And, and he was taught, I was reading through this, and what was really interesting is 
uh, it became paramount is that the American soldier was able to think for himself and make decisions for himself. And so the perfect example of this was on D-Day is that they had this huge plan of what they were going to do. And when they dropped the soldiers, it was all just a big mess. All the paratroopers, they're all lost. Right. They're all in different ways. They lost their units. A bunch of them died and, you know, command structures fell apart. So what did all of these airborne soldiers do is they, they cobbled together units and platoons and they went on the attack and they just started creating havoc. And it was because of that that was an illustration of the reason why America dominated in World War II is because the American soldier could think for himself. Mm. Other soldiers wouldn't do anything until they were ordered to do it. Because that's kind of been inbuilt in us since we formed our country yeah. of we're going to do our own thing. We're independent. I, yeah. It's very much a, those who are in Idaho now, that's kind of a mindset of Idahoans in general. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still around. But, yeah, it gives them that opportunity there. They're more nimble. They're more agile because they're used to making decisions. They're not you. They're a lot of other countries are so dependent on waiting for their government to tell them yeah, what's exactly. supposed to happen and their higher ups. And, and uh, yeah, you know, early Americans, they definitely weren't sheep. You know, they were cattle yeah. or they were they were go getters. They, they were bulls in a China yeah. shop mostly. And so, so what's really interesting about it is here is so you have this vibe, right, of, hey, I want to be independent. I want to chart my own course. I want to go out and make my own way. And boy, did we just have giants of people, you know, mm. uh, the, the Carnegie's, you know, the uh, Fords. And, you know, the list just goes on and on and on about these giants of industry that started these massive companies and, and the Industrial Revolution, the Scientific Revolutions. All these things are fascinating in America. And so you have this idea that they're skeptical of uh, authority a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean we weren't respectful. We were taught respect. But it was the notion nobody has the right to control your life. And so we were skeptical of that. Well, in the 40s and 50s, that started to shift because we were, we were uh, modernist or in, under the, the umbrella of modernity. And that is, you know, be a little skeptical of someone trying to control your life, but there's still a truth and you need to have that in your life to postmodernism. So postmodernism took this, I, this vibe that Americans had, and then what they did is they exposed it, and then they poured gas on it. And basically they say, well, there is no truth at all, and there is no absolute truth. And just what, you know, uh, being independent means doing what you want whenever you want to do it because you're the most important thing in the world. So it shifted from a responsible independence that, hey, we're all Americans and we kind of buy it into this, to pure narcissism, in my opinion. That's what postmodern theory and philosophy did. And it kind of was based on a French philosopher by the name of Michel Foucault. And Michel Foucault said that, in essence, all truth claims are power plays. So, so anytime you make a truth claim over somebody else, like, hey, I know the truth, you're actually just making a power play over them. And Foucault was a big disciple of Nietzsche, okay? And that's important to understand. And it kind of is interesting because it's been, this notion has been so woven that we don't believe any truth, there is no absolute truth, we reject all truth. It was actually ensconced into American society in 1992 when Kennedy, uh, Justice Kennedy, wrote a, a majority opinion. Uh, I can't remember the case name, but basically this is what he said, is that freedom means 
as an American, you get to define reality in any way you want. So, so he actually ensconced that into our law. And so today people come up to me and say, uh, how is it that a, a, a school counselor at the elementary school can hold a class on gender confusion, ask my, my eight-year-old if they're confused, and then put them on uh, hormonal puberty blockers without me ever even knowing? Mm. Well, part of it comes from this law, these case law that has been slowly seeded into our law that, look, you can define reality any way you will like, and that's freedom, according to Justice Kennedy. So people are, we can make up our own genders. We can make up our own ethnicities. We can make up our own reality in any way, shape, or form. And if you oppose it, then you are the problem. So that's really seeded into our culture. But as Bill Maher points out, it's gone nuts. And my point would be it's nuts because Bill Maher and his ideology made it nuts. He was he was contributing yeah. to this. Yeah, he he puts all the ingredients into the pot, and then when the cooks up, he doesn't like the way it tastes, and so and then goes, well, what happened? What happened? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, well, what happened? History teaches over and over again. What happened is what you created. Your your ideas matter. In these ideas that there is no truth and that we need to reject all authority. And most of this comes, too, out of the sexual revolution. And that is, is once the pill hit, that was a technological change. What it did is then suddenly the massive groups of people basically said sexually, you know, there's nothing sacred or important about it anymore. It's just an appetite that we should be able to be free to pursue in any way, shape or form that we want. And so... I think all of these ideas and concepts have been seeded into our society over the last 50 years, and now we're reaping it to the point where any type of sexual expression, you have to like it. Like at, at the Grammys, you know, it, it's, it's shocking to me that nobody with half a brain said, look, do we want families and young kids to like music and to like the music industry? Right. Well, yeah, of course that would be fun. Well, right now they're watching Baby Shark. You know, that's, I think, the number one video on YouTube with six billion views. Right. You know, and so, okay, though, that's what's going on. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use our platform. Instead of trying to reach new consumers, we, we're going to shove overt lesbian sexual dances uh, into primetime TV. Mm. Uh, well, that's where, you, that's where upside down morality comes from. Because... You, got, you have chaos. When you reject all truth, when you reject the notion of any type of truth, then every truth claim can be explained away, and this creates chaos. Because every statement, even the ones about, hey, there can be no truth claims, can be explained away. So what it does is it creates anarchy, and what it does is it creates a psychosis mentally in a human being because the brain is not wired this way the brain is wired to create 
order out of chaos. That's what your brain does constantly. Right. And so what's happening is this is an ideology that is destroying the psyche of young people. And this is why depression is going up. This is why suicidal tendencies are going up. This is why isolation is going up. This is why people who can live in the most affluent country with the greatest opportunity in the history of the world hate their experience. And feel like a victim. It's because of this ideology of postmodernism, the the foundational framework on which we know who we are and what we should become as people has been completely eroded and destroyed. And so now what we're going to find is we're going to find totalitarian groups who want to come in and impose their their uh, sense of reality on everybody else. And if you're in their way, they will cancel you. They will fire you. They will do everything they can to destroy you. And because this comes from uh, Italian philosopher uh, Gramsci, who he was a Italian fascist, but he was a student of Marx, Karl Marx. And what he believed in is establishing what he called a cultural hegemony. And what that basically means is we control people through culture. You see, we don't we don't have to have a police state that comes in and kicks your door in when you believe the wrong thing. You'll be humiliated and ostracized by the overall culture and society. And I believe what Jesus would say to that, first and foremost, is what we find in the gospel according to John, where Jesus says, look, if you follow me, if I am your truth, your ultimate truth, your absolute truth, your objective truth. If you follow me, then you will know me and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's not about the freedom to believe anything. It's that I need to understand the actual content of the truth claim that I am believing because that makes all the difference. So how does uh, Jesus counter this tendency towards a rejection of truth? Well, I think the first thing he does, and this is what I think is so brilliant, is he doesn't ask us to adopt a religious mindset. What he says over and over again is he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And I think what's going on is when you throw out truth and then morality goes off the rails— what you discover is that people become more thirsty in their soul. Mm. And the burden of upside-down morality just destroys them. It destroys their mental acuity, their capacity to focus. It destroys their belief. As I've said before, what you believe is one of the most important things about you. So what do you believe about yourself? And I'm not talking about the little posty notes that you put on your dashboard or your refrigerator or on your mirror, you know. You're, you know. You got this. You got Hang this, bro. Hang in there, bro. It's, you know, uh, you're a queen. You're a king. You know, you're an alpha. You know, you're this. And. That, that, that's kind of stuff that we aspire to. I'm not trying to ridicule that too much, just a little bit. And, <laughs> and so, but the, what do you really believe deep down about yourself, right? If you take all the posting notes out of your life and all the sloganeering and you're all by yourself, what is that moment of stillness like for you? Is it one of sheer terror? Is it one of depression? Is it one of anxiety? Or is there a place of stillness within you? where you're okay. You're okay with yourself and you're okay with your God. And I think 
that is what it, Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to call you into a religious system, right, that's a little bit different or a mismatch of other things. What I'm going to do is I am going to invite you into a relationship with me. And at that point, when you're in a, excuse me, a relationship with me, I can begin to influence what you actually believe about yourself. And that's where freedom comes from is because we cannot find freedom until we believe very exclusive and very specific things about what it means to be a human being and what reality do we actually exist within. So what's (laughs) another ideology that comes from society that Jesus would speak into? At this point, we've heard about a lot of bad ideologies and how they're <laughs> corrupting everything and, and making things just terrible. What are some that Jesus would speak into? Well, I think this notion of knowing Jesus in, as an objective truth in your life that you seek to follow is critical because, uh, like, like here's, a, here's a big thing is that everybody that I've met, guys and gals alike, want true, authentic love. You know, I, I can't tell you, I, I've met so many guys. I know alpha males, and beta males and everything in between. And, you know, guys that are super successful and some guys that are just happy, you know, skimming by at the, the bare minimum. Every single guy in some form or another talks about, man, when, when um, you know, you're really in love with a person, life is just awesome. Uh, I know guys who talk about their kids, you know, their, their love for their kids is a pure uh, unconditional love. I, I've I've spoken to women, uh, feminist women, anti-feminist women, and everything in between. And the same thing uh, true is no matter how successful they are, it all comes down to their life does not really feel uh, meaningful, have any sense of fulfillment unless they are in, in connected and bonded and true, authentic love. And here's the deal: is how do you know you have true love? Or you have selfish driven love. The only way you'll ever know the answer to that question is if you believe in objective truth, if you believe there is a truth. Because if you're a postmodernist, you'll never know. You can't even trust your own instincts. You you might say to yourself, Well, I think I'm in love with these people, but how do you really know? You, you don't know. There's because there's since there's no truth, there's no measuring stick, there's no thing to compare, there's no nothing. So you are adrift. I can't think of a more insecure, unfulfilling way to live. No matter what I do, no matter what I pursue, it means nothing because I can't even trust what I am driven to do. That just seems to be something that would really throw you for a huge loop. And that's why I think depression and anxiety and all these things are going through the roof in our society. So you have to believe in truth if you want to experience true, authentic love. There's no other way around it. So this weekend, actually, you are not preaching. Pastor Harv is preaching. Yes. So he's going to be kind of tying up this this week's study on Sunday. Do you know what he's going to be speaking about? Yeah, well, you know, what would Jesus say to society? And I, I think overall it's, I've been talking about uh, orthodoxy, which is, do you know the truth? Right. Right. And Harv is going to focus on how do you practice the truth? You know, okay. Harv is always really good. He's He's got a book of, of Harvisms. I try to write down the stuff that Harv says all the time because it's so incredibly cool and it's hilariously funny at the same time. <laughs> but, you know, he... Uh, 
Uh, one of them, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I'm going to do it because it's a little salty. One of my favorite ones that he uses all the time, he goes, uh, when the tide goes out, you know who who's swimming without swimming trunks. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 phrase just fits so many situations. Yes, know? it does. Particularly with people who are posing when they shouldn't be. He goes, you know who's swimming without swim trunks? <laughs> but uh, he he's going to talk ba- about how do we live out the power of the resurrection in our lives so that we can counter what society is doing because Jesus speaks through us is really what he does, and and that's really important. Well, we will look forward to that from Pastor Harv on Sunday. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We're going to wrap it up for today. Um, hopefully you're enjoying this new, new and improved sound, um, and we're excited to be bringing you more truths. We're ramping up towards Easter. Um, just a quick thing, we're, uh, we are doing a Good Friday worship night coming up. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and we're partnering with um, another church. Um, we're just finalizing that, but they're going to be joining us as well, and they're, we're going to do that here at Foothills. You can watch that online or come attend we're having an easter egg hunt for the little ones all age categories and then obviously the three easter services so i know it's a little early to be talking about easter but i mean it's only three weeks away it's really not that early it's not that early at all you gotta start making plans so uh hopefully you guys are getting signed up for that join us at foothills.org slash easter if you want more information on any of that and then join us on sunday as pastor harv wraps up what would jesus say to society all right blessings everyone